Thanks, Caitlin. Adrian's going to read the Bible for us in a minute. Uh, but before he does, let me help you understand what the big um, question, the big point of our passage, our sermon is tonight. Uh, the big question is, will we see Jesus clearly? Will we see Jesus clearly? I think this is a really important question because I think our, our world does not see Jesus clearly. Our world does not see Jesus clearly. So let me show you some uh, different ways that people see Jesus up on the screen here. Uh, here is Maasai Jesus, Native American Jesus, white blue-eyed Jesus, Chinese Jesus, a perhaps more realistic attempt at a Middle Eastern Jesus. Here's some more depictions of Jesus. Here's Trump Jesus, LGBTQ Jesus, buddy Jesus, military Jesus. Everyone's got their own way of seeing Jesus, their own perception of Jesus. There's one author, Joseph Stoll, who wrote this. It seems as though everyone wants Jesus in their parade, from gay activists to abortionists to religious leaders to politicians, making Jesus fit their agenda and flying his flag to provide a guise of propriety and credibility. Our world does not see Jesus clearly. All the major religions of the world have an understanding of Jesus. They will come out with different understandings. In Islam, Jesus is seen as one of the great, perhaps one of the greatest prophets, though not more than that, definitely not the Son of God. Jewish perspectives on Jesus range from a good teacher through to a false prophet, and certainly not the Messiah. Hinduism sees Jesus as one among many prophets and wise men. The name of Jesus has been used both to spark revolutions and to maintain social order. How many wars have there been where both sides were praying to Jesus for victory? Jesus is seen as, as wise, as countercultural, as, as radical, maybe as mystical, sometimes as deceptive or as deluded. Perhaps all that we can pretty much universally agree on about Jesus is that he was a real man in history and that he became one of, or perhaps the, most influential person to have ever lived. And we're in a culture here in Australia that really doesn't know what to do with Jesus. Our, our culture's moving away from its, its kind of Christian identity and, and heritage and building a culture that's independent of the teachings of Jesus, which have shaped our history so much. But as, as one scholar, Flannery O'Connor, puts it, Christ continues to haunt our culture as so many of our core values of, of individual freedom, of equality, of compassion and progress are fundamentally shaped by him and how they're expressed. No one knows what to do with Jesus. The social media algorithms would have no chance with him, right? He can't be captured in data points. He can't be pinned down. He's a religious teacher who spends his time hanging out with sinners. He's a miracle worker who tells people to stay quiet about what he's done for them. How do you see Jesus? Do you see Jesus, the life coach, who supports you and encourages you and endorses you as you pursue your dreams? 
Do you see Jesus, the right-wing champion of individual liberty and defeater of the social justice warriors? Do you see Jesus, the left-wing champion of socialism and pacifism, who brings down social hierarchies? Do you see Jesus, who helps you to fit into Australian culture, who provides you with, with friends and interesting ideas to consider? If you're taking notes in the, the booklet that you got on the way in, you can see up the top some, some different descriptions, some ways that people see Jesus. I wonder which of those would you own? Which of those would you circle? Is he a good influence? Is he a bad influence? Is he a wise man? Is he a role model? Is he a philosopher? A miracle worker? Is he saviour? Is he king? Is he God? Which would you circle? People see Jesus in all kinds of ways, and it really matters how you see Jesus. For all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, it really matters how you see Jesus. Because if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a Christian, then you need to see Jesus clearly. You need to understand him clearly in order to make an assessment of the truth claims of Christianity. That the person and the message of Jesus is the center point of all of Christian faith. So if you're trying to understand what Christianity is, what all these people are on about, then seeing Jesus clearly, understanding him for who he is, is at the center of it all. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer in him, then you need to see Jesus clearly too. Because you want to you love him, you want to live for him. And the way we best love someone is by, by knowing them best. If we don't know someone well, it's hard to love them well. If you want to love Jesus well, you need to see him clearly. And so as we look at this passage tonight, in order to see Jesus clearly, we're going we're gonna to focus in on how three different characters in the story see him. How the people see him, the crowds, how the demon sees him, and how Jesus sees himself. The, the people, the crowd, the demon, and Jesus himself. So I'm going to invite Adrian to come and read for us. I want you to, to look as we read for those three characters and how they see Jesus, and then we'll continue on. Thanks, Adrian. Hi, Uni Church. Tonight, Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 1, verse 21 to verse 45. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the Lord. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us? What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching, and with authority? He even gives order to impure spirits, and they obeyed him. News about him spread quickly over the whole world, over the whole region of Galilee. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his leads. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stay outside in lonely places. Yet, the people still came to him from everywhere. Thank you, Adrian. All right, so three characters and how they each see Jesus in this story. First, how the crowd see Jesus. Have a look uh, from verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. You hear that, that last bit? They were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So this is how the crowds see Jesus, how the people see Jesus, as an amazing teacher. They're amazed at his teaching. And there's some, some important kind of ancient Jewish culture for us to understand why they find this so amazing, why his authority is so amazing to them. So the, the ancient kind of rabbinic pattern of teaching, as the rabbis taught in the synagogues on a day like this, uh, was to build on a long and evolving line of, in, of interpretation and derived authority. So if I was your rabbi and I got up at synagogue and I was trying to tell you something from the scriptures, I might say, as Rabbi Joshua taught and as Rabbi Hillel taught before him, and we know from Rabbi Shammai before him, and so I draw this long line of authority to present what I'm trying to say. But when Jesus teaches, there's no such appeals, there's no such precedent there's no derived authority. He, he just teaches from his own lips. The crowd's amazed. 
They say it again in verse 27. What is this? A new teaching and with authority. Jesus isn't deriving authority from anyone else. He's just declaring it from his own lips. And this is highly unusual and scandalous for those who are listening to him, right? Imagine you're at at uni and an academic is appointed to a crucial teaching and leadership role at Melbourne Uni without any qualifications or formal training. No professional experience or references, but just purely based on their own ideas. That's the kind of reaction that these people are having to, to Jesus. They're certainly curious about him. There's something really compelling about what he's saying. But they're confused about his authority to say the things that he's saying. Right? They're going, why should we listen to him? That's a good question. Why, why should we listen to him? There are many teachers throughout history who've helped people to live good lives, to live in harmony, to be wise, to prosper. But Jesus, Jesus is unique among them. He's different. He claims to directly speak the words of God to people. He claims to, to be God. He claims to be the only way to know God. He claims to have the truth in a way that nobody else does. He claims to be the one who holds eternal life in his hands, to give to those he chooses. He's unique among the great teachers of history. Here's how one of those great teachers understood Jesus. This is Mahatma Gandhi. It was more than I could believe that Jesus was the only incarnate son of God that only those who believed in him would have everlasting life. I could accept Jesus as a martyr, a role model, and a divine teacher, but not as the most perfect man ever born. Jesus' authority is unique among even the great moral teachers of history. Maybe the way that you see Jesus is a bit similar to how Gandhi sees him. Maybe you find Jesus a compelling teacher of wisdom. He's got lots of interesting, important ideas. Maybe he's a role model for ethical living, but he's not more than that. If that's how you see Jesus, then please hear tonight that Jesus is not interested in that position. Jesus is not interested in being one among many great moral teachers of history. He thinks he's God. He says that his words are God's words. He claims that the only way to have eternal life is through him. C.S. Lewis famously put this, and there there are three empty boxes Uh, in your booklet there to represent this. C.S. Lewis says, Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's the Lord. Jesus is either history's biggest con man or he's insane or he's telling the truth and he's God. 
the people see Jesus as a compelling teacher. How do you see Jesus? Let's think about how the demon sees Jesus then. It's a really interesting part of the passage. Before before we read that part of the passage, there's this really um, a significant shape to Mark's gospel, a kind of literary feature, particularly in the first half of the gospel, so chapters 1 to 8. Jesus' identity starts off blurry and comes into focus as more and more characters in the story recognize him for who he is. So as we move through our preaching series in Mark 1 to 8, we're going to see more and more people recognize Jesus for who he is. And all the way through, his disciples just don't get it. They're trying, they're getting bits, but they just can't quite see Jesus clearly. And that all leads up to the end of of chapter 8, where Peter, the kind of leader, the representative of the disciples, he declares, you are the Messiah. And that's the center point, that's the kind of hinge point of Mark's gospel. As the disciples finally see Jesus clearly, then the question changes from being, who is Jesus, to what will Jesus do, as he turns and starts his ministry towards the cross. So... Anyone, I want someone brave to try and call out from last week. Who's the first character in Mark's gospel to see Jesus clearly, to recognize his true identity? Anyone want to have a go? Yeah, yeah, kind, kind of John, but even his understanding is still limited, a bit blurry of Jesus. There's someone who gets Jesus even more clearly than John. God the Father, nice. So at Jesus... Baptism, as Jesus comes up out of the water, God declares, you are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. God the Father is the first in Mark's gospel to see Jesus clearly. And the second from our passage tonight is the demon. It's the demon. Have a look at Verses 23 to 26 with me. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. So when Jesus comes near, the demon has this visceral reaction. He yells in hatred and fear at Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? He's like like an angry and fearful guard dog, jumping and frothing and baring his teeth at someone who's entered the yard. And the only move he's got, the only way he can attack Jesus is to say, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The demon knows who Jesus is, and that fills him with dread. It happens again two other times in Mark's Gospel. In chapter 3, they fell down, that's the demons, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. And in chapter 5, another demon, what do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. 
Jesus comes with, with power over all, even over spiritual beings. As his kingdom breaks in, Jesus is, is taking ground from Satan. It's like the front line of an army advancing through the enemy's defenses. And I, I don't know about you, but I find it actually quite challenging here that the demon recognizes Jesus rightly, even before his own disciples do. I think it helps us to see that seeing Jesus clearly is not just a matter of knowing the right things. It's a matter of responding. To just intellectually understand the message of Jesus is not what Jesus is calling for. He's calling for us to respond to his message and to him rightly. Right? God calls us not just to know about Jesus, but to know Jesus, to love him, to live for him. In James chapter 2, this is written. It says, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? So that means what, what good is it if you know in your head but it doesn't change anything? You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. A belief in Jesus can never just stay up here. For it to mean anything, it has to transform us. Even the demons know who Jesus is, but they respond to him with hatred and fear and futile resistance. Martin Luther once said this, he said, the life of Christianity consists in possessive pronouns. It's one thing to say Jesus is a saviour. It's another thing entirely to say Jesus is my saviour. If you circled descriptions of Jesus in your book earlier, let me ask you, if you said Jesus is a role model, is he your role model? If you said Jesus is king, is he your king? If you said he's God, is he your God? The demon sees Jesus clearly. There's one more character to investigate how they see Jesus, and that's Jesus himself. How does he see himself in this passage? Well, uh, let's have a look from verse 35. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. We get a glimpse into this kind of beautiful connection between Jesus and his father. Right? He's up early in the morning to pray, to spend time enjoying God's presence but he's interrupted by the disciples. Everyone's looking for you. 
Why is everyone looking for him? Because they want something from him. Because of his, his power to heal. But Jesus has a different priority to healing. Though we see his compassion overflow through his healing across this passage. He has a different priority. He has come in order to preach. Jesus came with a message. We heard it last week. Words are written over the church door. Caitlin reminded us of it earlier. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus' message is an announcement that the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. That heaven is breaking into earth to overthrow the powers of darkness that hold this world, to bring humanity back to God. It's the message that we call the gospel, the good news. That's what Jesus has come to preach. Humanity, all of us and each of us, have turned away from God to live for ourselves, to live and worship other things instead of God. And away from him, we become both victims and perpetrators of sin as we hurt one another, we live in futility, in decay. But God doesn't leave us there. He loves us so much that he doesn't leave us in our sin and our futility. He loves us so much that he pursues us relentlessly and graciously across the centuries. He pursues each of us across the minutes and the days of our lives. He's had a rescue plan from the very beginning. And as Jesus begins to heal and teach here, God's cosmic plan is nearing its crescendo. See, that the healings that Jesus performs in this passage, they're amazing. But they're, they're just like the first little flowers blooming, showing us that the full burst of spring is on the way. This same Jesus is going to heal not just bodies, but souls. And not just one person at a time, but for the whole human race. And indeed, for the whole created order. Jesus kind of shocking defeat of the demon in this passage is just the tiniest flex of his strength. It's the, the flick of a wrist with incredible power behind it. Jesus himself says that Satan is like a strong man. He may be strong, but Jesus is stronger. And Jesus has come to rob Satan's house. Christ the conqueror is launching his irresistible offensive against the powers of evil in this world. And he's going to liberate the world from Satan's grasp. The, the message of the kingdom that Jesus brings, it's still kind of blurry here. We're just still in the early, early parts of Mark's gospel. It's still unfolding. But it will come into glorious high definition as Jesus teaches and, and shows a new way to be human. And he dies to deal with the sin that holds us back from God and that new life. And he rises from death to bring us into it with him.
So maybe we could say it as simply as possible this way, right? People don't see Jesus clearly because their view of him is too small. To see Jesus clearly, you have to look at him like you would look at a huge and intricate piece of art or maybe the way that you would look at an aeroplane window at a whole city below you. You're not going to see it rightly unless you look at it with a kind of a kind of a surrender, an understanding that this is beyond your simple grasp. There is a richness and a depth and an intricacy here that can be marveled at, but not broken down and known in a, a simple sense. A hundred years ago, there was a, a Christian writer, G.K. Chesterton, who tried to express this. He said, suppose we hear an unknown man spoken of by many men. Suppose we were puzzled to hear that some men said he was too tall and some said he was too short. Some said he was too large, some that he was too thin. Some thought him too dark, some thought him too fair. One explanation would be that he might be an odd shape. But there is another explanation. He might be the right shape. Perhaps, in short, this extraordinary thing is really the ordinary thing, the normal thing, the center. So, if you're here tonight and you're not a follower of Jesus, then my encouragement to you is keep looking at him. As you investigate Christianity or ask questions of people in your life who've been telling you about their faith, ask questions about Jesus. Focus on Jesus because he's the center of it. He's the main point of it all. The Bible pictures it like he's the cornerstone. He's the first brick in the house that the whole rest of the house is measured and ordered against. There are lots of important questions about Christianity that you might be interested in, right? About science and faith, questions about suffering, about how can we know what's true, questions about the history of the church, all kinds of stuff. That's, that's all important. But nothing is more important than to understand Jesus himself. Nothing will help you understand Christianity more than seeing Jesus clearly. Understanding who he was, what he taught, what he did, that's the thing that Christian faith rises and falls on. So keep looking into that. Keep looking into him. And to those of us who, who have placed faith in Jesus who are believers in him, here's the, the challenge for us. The more clearly that you see Jesus, the more completely he will fill your vision. The more clearly you see Jesus, the more completely he will fill your vision. Imagine sailors, hungry and thirsty from weeks at sea, spotting land on the horizon. 
Right, that little dark smudge in the distance promises relief and hope, but it's still difficult to make out across all the expanse of water in front of you. And the closer they sail to land, the more it becomes clear, the more it fills their minds with thoughts of fresh water, of food, of shelter, of rest, until as they finally reach the shore, this land fills their vision entirely and the sea is behind them, not even in sight anymore. The, the closer you draw to Jesus, the more he will fill your vision and the more your life will be transformed by him. By his spirit, for his followers, he changes our desires, our dreams, our fears, our values. He changes us to align with him, to be for his glory. And seeing Jesus clearly is like putting on prescription glasses. Seeing Jesus clearly helps everything else come into focus. The deeper that you are in Jesus, the truer your vision will become of this world and of your life. Things that seem so desperately important to you fade into the background. Selfish desires are slowly but surely replaced by a new desire, a greater desire for the glory of God through you. If you see Jesus more clearly, then you better be prepared for things in your life to change. When, when Peter and the disciples, when they finally see Jesus clearly in chapter 8, what's the first thing that Jesus says to them? He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must follow me, deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. You see what he's saying? If, if you want to be Jesus' disciple, if you want to see him clearly and respond to who he is, then he calls you to lay down your life for the new life that he gives. The concerns of your life fade into the background. You give up your own life for something so much greater, for Jesus and for his gospel. And there you find true life. You find life to the full. That's what happens when we see Jesus clearly. We're going to sing now, and then we're going to have us speak. So I love it if you have a question about what we can do to fill our vision with Jesus, to see him more clearly, or if maybe you have an encouragement of how Jesus has been filling your life more. So let me pray, uh, and then we'll sing together. Would you, would you stand as we pray? Jesus, please help us uh, to see you more clearly. And as we see you more clearly, would you fill our vision, fill our lives, and transform them for your glory. And it's for your glory we pray. Amen.